There are an awful lot of things in this world that you get filled up on real quick. I really like to have a chorus of that. Remind of this. Hearts of hunger for God's word. When Jesus walked this earth, there were those who gave them slight recognition. There were others who said, this is a wonderful thing. I think of Cleopas and his buddy who after a walk of a few miles and the Lord disappeared, he, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? My old mentor in California used to say, these people that want to get out of church as soon as they can, what are they going to do when they get to heaven? It's just church, church, church all the time. Something tells me that it won't be people. Hey, I have things to do, places to go, and people to see. No, our prime calling is to worship God. Whether you're doing the singing, or the playing, or the preaching, or the listening, there should be something on the inside of you that says, Amen. And it sometimes comes out the outside, preaching or buying here and that either. I would remind you that when Jesus was standing before the crowds, after he'd been beaten and mocked and sneered and jeered, Pontius Pilate, he wanted to play to the crowd. And he said, you know, this is that special time of year. I'm going to release whoever you say. And so, you get a say in this, folks. And so, here's Jesus. And he got the scroungiest. It'd be like turning, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but I used to use the example of Charles Manson. I'm going to turn this guy out. Put him loose on the streets. Or Jesus. That should have been a no-brainer. And the crowd said, Barabbas! I don't think Pontius Pilate expected that one. And he said, Tell you what I can do. I can release two. What do you say? They looked at Jesus and said, Crucify him. We will not have this man to reign over us. And I guarantee you there are people in this world who might have their name on a church roll, who might have fancy bumper stickers on their cars. They might regard themselves as devout followers of the Lord with their mouth. And they want to be esteemed that way by their neighbors. But as the Lord said, these are a people who draw neither me with their mouths, but their heart is not with us. You see, some people can put on a real good show. You know who the experts in that? 
in New Testament times? The Pharisee. You know what Pharisee means? Separated. I'm special. I'm holy. You want a good example of holiness? Look at me. Some said the Pharisee. They knew what the law said. They would tell you what the law said. Jesus told his disciples, when they tell you to do something that's in the Word, do it. They don't, I know, but you still need to. Not because they say. And I hope nobody ever does a thing because this or any other preacher says it, but because God says it in His Word. It's my job to tell you what it says, and if I can't put up, I better hush up. But I believe that this psalm, which I told you this morning, it ends a book, didn't it? What book does it end? Book one of the psalms. Because there are five books. But the first book has 41 chapters, doesn't it? 41 psalms. And I was looking at a catalog just yesterday. There's a new... Somebody decided to take Spurgeon's words and uh, they put Mr. Spurgeon giving a commentary on the book of the Psalms, but the version they used was not the King James. So I'm not going to spend my money on it. In fact, those quote Bibles... New Testaments that I had a gentleman to read from. Uh, I think I got them in garage sales or something. You can spend a lot of money for junk. <clears throat> now, I spent a little bit more for my Webster, but uh, he's pretty good. But if you can only get one Bible, get you a King James if you want one with notes. There are several I recommend, but uh, what kind of get, tell you to get Sky? Open Bible. You know, an open Bible is always better than a closed Bible. That's true. But anyway, this catalog, it had a commentary on the Psalms, the commentary by Spurgeon, but it wasn't King James. And it said he comments on all 150 chapters of the song. <laughs> when I taught Bible in fifth and sixth grade, junior high and high school, and definitely college, you got to understand, each one is a standalone song. Now, some complement others. In fact, Lord willing, in two weeks, we'll look at 42, which has a verse that repeats itself. And then 43, a shorter version. It's really interesting. We'll talk about that later. The Lord worked it out such that, <coughs> of course, next Sunday, I told you I'm not preaching. Who's going to preach? All of us are. All the members. As often as ye eat this bread, drink this cup, ye do show forth. 
So we'll all be preaching the same message if we're here. Mm -hmm. I hope we are. And anyone who's attending, we had, you're coming had four kids, you know, Rebecca made profession, and Mary, and then Andrew, and by the time, I guess both the girls were out of the house before Paul made a profession of faith. And Becca would come home from college, and we were having communion, and he'd say, how come you get to take communion? I don't, you don't even go here much. <laughs> but, but I am still a member. Well, <clears throat> there is an opportunity, and there is an obligation to church membership. You should take it seriously. If you have it, do everything you can to preserve it, protect it, and walk in a realization that people are going to watch you. You just don't know this side of heaven who is watching you. Somebody's watching you. I told Ms. Tawana this morning, somebody's watching you. And she looked at me kind of funny, and they're watching me too. Well, I better be careful because <clears throat> either you're Religion is only on the outside. We mentioned the Pharisees, the separated ones. Jesus made it very clear. Everything they do is for to be seen of men. They're putting on a show. The real deal is the one who is that way in their mind, in their heart. They are determined. Like it says of Daniel in chapter 1, they were purposed in their hearts. I forget right now which one of the Psalms says, I will behave myself. Is it perfectly in a righteous way or the other way? Righteously in a perfect way? See, even the preacher has a problem sometimes remembering exactly how it goes. We should be committed. We should be dependable. We should be people of integrity. Now, back when we talked about the 26th Psalm, that word is used at the front in the almost last verse. And so I made that the thrust of what we talked about in Psalm 26. But what is integrity? I believe I told you when we were on the 26th, but I knew a fellow, he, he liked to make up his own words. I don't recommend that. we got enough words already, it seems like. Maybe more than we need. And he put the word I-N-T-E-G-E-R. And he says, what is that word? And if things go quiet too long, I like to say something. You know, I don't want to just listen to silence. And I said, that's integer. That was the answer he wanted to hear. Actually, he said it's integer. Integer? What's integer? That's a person with integrity. Well, you can say that. You can say a lot of things. Like the man used to say, you can write anything on a piece of paper. It doesn't make it so. But integrity... That's what you are in the dark. That's when you are with your, when you're all alone. You realize that humans may never have any knowledge of what you're saying, where you're going, 
who you're with, but you have the presence of the Lord and the principles given in His Word. You have a guide. You're motivated from the inside. You have that right heart, that right mind, that right spirit. <clears throat> and so as we read here from this 41st Psalm, what was the first Psalm in Book 1? So far, Psalm 1. So from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41, that's the first book. It opens by talking about a contrast between two men, two ways, two destinies. Talks about the righteous man and the ungodly. Don't talk about a gray area. That ought to tell us something right there. So it sets the stage for the whole book. And now as book one is drawing to a close, we see David, who was probably the author of many more psalms even than some would give him credit. He certainly lived up to in many ways. David was a man of integrity. He didn't do it because he's, well, I'm Jesse's son and my daddy taught me how to act. He is out of the tribe of Judah. I'm a self-respecting Jew. I'm a hard-working man. I have my own moral code. There are a lot of people like that. They're moralists. They don't need to read the Bible. They don't need to go to church. They don't need to listen to anybody else because they just know what's so. Look out for people like that. We need the presence of the Lord. We need the counsel of His Word. And we are social creatures. That's why we have the church. A formal way of being linked together. As I said, let's read this. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Mine enemies speak evil of me. When shall he die? And his day perish. Kind of sick of this guy, David. And if you come to see me, he speak of vanity. I think that's still the enemy talking about the Lord, not rather the Lord's band here. His heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. Look at me. I'm really somebody. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. He had a target on his back, folks. You know why? Because he did the right thing. Consistently. Correctly. Circumspectly. That's how we're supposed to be. No one didn't say, okay, here come the neighbors. Let's act like we're busy building this ark. Let's act like we're going to have a, a time of, of worshiping God. And when they're gone, well, we'll just do our thing. When are you when the lights go out? 
What are you there's nobody watching? If you were stranded on a desert island, so-called, would you still want to worship the Lord? Would you still want to pray? Would you still want to read and meditate on the things of God? I sure hope so. Because when you're all by yourself, Marcia and I have talked about this several times about young people who they're reared in a Christian home. They go to a Bible preaching, Bible believing church. They might even go to a Christian school. But the real proof of the pudding is they graduate and they go off somewhere. What are they going to do? Where are they going to want to locate? What sort of friends will they associate with? I've seen an awful lot of young people that, that come up in a Christian home. They'll go to a Bible-based church, maybe be involved in all kinds of activities, and within a very short time, they graduate from school, they drop out of church, they have other things to do. Makes you wonder. We pray for our kiddos. They say when they're little, they step on your feet. When they're big, they step on your heart. We have the promise of Proverbs 22. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's grown, he shall not depart from it. Like old George Slavin said, I don't think that means if you teach him how to be a farmer, he'll be a farmer. Or if you teach him how to drive a truck, he'll drive a truck. No, we're talking about how they really are. Well, let's get back to the beginning. I read through seven. So we'll start at eight. An evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. <laughs> He's about to go on. He's down for the count. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. You know what it means when it says lift up the heel? It means they did it. This, this, we're playing get away from you. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't know you, and I don't want you to be around me. Does that sound like anything you ever read in the New Testament? Jesus said in the 13th of John, I'll be betrayed, and it will be one of my own familiar friend. Who do you think he was talking about? Exactly. Because when Judas came to the garden, he told those folks, now, it's going to be dark. It's going to be late. I don't want you to arrest the wrong guy. So, you watch me. And the one I give a kiss to, that's the one you take into custody. And that weasel walked up to Jesus and he said, Hey, old master, was there ever a greater hypocrisy? And what did Jesus say back to him? Did Jesus say, You made me sick. You have the nerve to show up here, you dirty dog. 
May you burn in hell. And no, that's not what Jesus said. He said, friend, why are you come? <clears throat> if free will had any truth to it, you would think that would have converted him. Oh man, Jesus called me a friend after I made a mistake. When he did say what I did was wrong, it was a question of too little, too late. Jesus, uh, Judas couldn't live with himself. So he hung himself. I don't think that gave him a pass and he wound up in heaven. It's interesting when the worst news comes down. You may have been in a situation, you might have a family member or friend who's in a situation where the doctor said, this is bad, you're going to die. And some people, that's what happens. They tell me that in some of the tribes in Africa, the missionaries would go in and they'd talk about Jesus Christ and the witch doctor would get the guy aside and says, you follow that missionary, you're going to die. And some of them would just go into their hut and lay down on their cot and within minutes they were dead. They couldn't live with themselves. When circumstances dump on you, how does it affect you? Do you still say, like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? Are you like Job who says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away? How's the rest of it go? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That should be our mind. But thou, o Lord, be merciful unto me and raise me up that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me because my enemy doth not triumph over me. If you don't think God is on your side, why do you suppose you're still around? If it was up to them and there were no God to protect, maybe all of us be squashed like bugs long ago. Without any fear of crimination. As, and as for me, thou upholdest me in mine integrity. Integrity doesn't save you, but integrity reminds you you have a great God. All of your reliance is upon Him. Somebody has said faith, F-A-I-T-H, stands for forsaking all I trust Him. Peter said in second, 1 Peter 5, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Amen. We live in that verse. We should. Yeah. As for me, thou holdest me in mine integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. That's a good place to be, folks. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting and to everlasting. You don't even say an amen. The Bible says let all the people say amen. If you're one of God's people, you ought to say amen. Well, in this case, David didn't just say amen. He said amen and amen. Wow. And thus we end the first book of the soul. You said, well, there's a lot more. 
How many books in the Bible have 41 divisions in them? Some of them don't have but one. So we talk about integrity. Uh, the dictionary and the source would tell you that association with integrity is with a state of being entire or undiminished. You're rock solid for the Lord. You're determined, I will do what God tells me to do. No matter what anybody or any group of people might say otherwise. Entirety. I'm the real deal, through and through. No faith, no phony. Soundness of moral principle, rectitude of character, virtue, respectability, trustworthiness, piety, goodness, justice. A wise man said, you ought to live your life such that when people... Say lies about you. Nobody will believe it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I don't know who said it first, but I would agree. You take care of your character and the Lord will take care of your reputation. You know, you could say all kinds of stuff about me. Now, I know in my heart of hearts, I'm a sinner. And I just hope and pray that things that I've done, the Lord's forgiven me for. Other people don't get a wind of it. I'm not proud of those things. And if you're a born-again child of God, you're not proud of the things you thought and felt and said and did. We're not going to play Dr. Phil and say, here's what I did, here's where I went, here's what I was involved with. No. Paul says, you know, there are people who have done this and this and this and this, and such were some of you. But we're not going to go there because you're what? That's where we need to be. The word that is used here, the Hebrew word which means blameless, to speak of their innocence, uprightness, perfection. And another source adds wholeness, innocence, simplicity, remote from mischief, ill design. I believe it was Paul who said, we ought to be simple about some things. He's not meaning, do, do, do. no, he means, I don't make a connection there. Somebody makes an off-color remark or crude joke and, and says, oh yeah, what are you talking about? You know, I have found that a person comes to me with something that I really ought not to part there. Sometimes I'm just silent. Or I'll change the subject. Or sometimes, what do you mean by that? Oh, uh, uh, uh. You know, one of my, what do you call it on the computer? Passwords? No, the, the things that you, you go by. Username? Okay, who's your username? One of them, St. Rains. I get memos from people, sometimes they're English, sometimes they're French. Sometimes I think it's Bengali or something. And uh, to St. Rains at uplink.net. And I said, do they even think about who they're writing to? And the email uh, username yeah. that I use most now is brorains at gmail.com. Can you imagine somebody with something... Gossipy 
or untoward, sending some garbage, some moral filth to bro reigns. I haven't changed my license plate. I don't plan to anytime soon. And people, what is that really? Well, I am, or was, a chaplain and also a professor. And so that holds me to some account as well. <clears throat> but there isn't a merit in how much dirt we know and how many places we were involved in that were wicked. In Acts 3, the apostles tell the Jerusalem church, because there was so much to do in addition to preaching and teaching, it was a daily ministration. There were men who had been killed for believing and practicing biblical Christianity. And they left widows and kiddos behind. And so who's going to provide for them? And so the apostles, they said, hey, hey, we're the apostles. We'll, 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 we'll take care of it. We'll get some. No, they looked to the congregation. That's one reason why I believe that congregational form of church government. They said, look among yourselves and pick out seven men of good reports to deal with this. Who would qualify as a deacon? Somebody said, well, no crooks to start with. That, that's true. <coughs> and these are the ones who were charged. We read about that some this morning in Sunday school. Titus 3, or Titus 1 rather, talks about elders and also talks about deacons and in 1st Timothy it speaks about pastors or bishops and also speaks about deacons so there are some standards that are put in the word quoting another man Mr. Spurgeon in his commentary said integrity should make us mindful of Noah's art people said the majority is always right tell that to Mr. Noah but we should think of Rahab who hung that scarlet thread out the window. I don't think there were a whole bunch of scarlet threads hanging out the windows when Joshua and his crowd, as we talked about just this morning, they went about and they, the two spies had visited with Rahab. They said, you hang this scarlet thread out the window. Your life for ours. You save us and we're going to save you. And so when the troops come in, you and your house will live. By the way, if you check out the genealogy of Christ, there was a man in one of those families who married Rahab. And she had a little boy who had a little boy. I believe that boy's name was Obed. And then there was Jesse, and Jesse was the father of several boys, the youngest being David. David's genealogy is traced through Rahab, the one who hung out the scarlet thread. She had done, and then she was rewarded for such. The word integrity appears many times in Scripture. It's a concept all through the Word of God. You have dark times. You have depressing circumstances. You have dismal prospects for a lot of people. It wasn't always rosy and shiny 
though sometimes prevail. <coughs> and yet God preserved, God raised up people. In Enoch's day, it says he walked with God, and he was not. The next chapter talks about Noah, who walked with God. You know what made the difference? Was it because he was in church? Was it because he had a, a, a bunch of gold stars or something? No. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Salvation's always been, only been, and will always be by grace. <coughs> he was saved by grace. If you're saved today, you're saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. It's grace. That's why we say amazing grace. I hope it never gets old. I'm not so sure that's what we're going to say all the time in heaven. But something like that, I'm pretty sure. It's certainly a biblical thing. Because it exalts the Lord and reminds us. God's riches at Christ's expense. God did for us what we could not and would not do. This business of integrity, it's in the book of Job more than once. It's several times in the Psalms. In fact, uh, not as we've already, not just as we've already seen, but we'll find this in uh, a couple other Psalms yet to come. And it's throughout the book of wisdom. We know it as Proverbs. From the well, first 20 chapters have references. We won't, for time consideration, go there. But three quick thoughts I want to give you. First of all, we see a character sketch of the person of integrity. What does this person look like? What, what guides them? How do they think? Well, number one, a person of integrity is one who considers the poor. What? I thought it's how many times you go to church. I thought it's how loud you say amen. It's, a, you know, some churches have a big choir. How many times I volunteer to do a special in the choir? Or, or how often I can play this <coughs> instrument, or I can witness here, or I can do, you know. We think about the stuff we can do in the eyes of our fellow believers. But the Lord sees what we do. We were talking about the Good Samaritan. Who was watching when the Good Samaritan did those deeds? The Lord. He who sees in private will reward openly. Some people just have to polish the apple. Like that guy told you about in Conway. And I think I told you too. He got on his beep and he beep and he said, folks, I was in the grocery store and I came out and I saw this little old lady getting in her car and here comes a shopping cart. This looks like a job for a super Christian. And I went down there and I stopped that cart, shopping cart from smacking her cards. Bigging it up and all that. I just wanted to pass that on. And the next day, add a little more to it. The next, add a little bit more to it. Like, uh, hey, notice me. I'm really something. And finally, one of our colleagues said, give him a rest. You know, it's kind of hard to match yourself on the back. Some people seem to think they can do it. One who considers the poor. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. That's out of the gate what we have. 
in this psalm. There are several other passages which echo that in the Proverbs. I won't turn there now again for time consideration, but you want to ask me after, I got it right here in the notes. I would remind you though, in James chapter 1, you know, religion is defined by some people as how piously you sound when you pray. Or, one guy said it's how you hold your tongue. You can look so spiritual. You can act a certain way. You, you can go through the motions. You know, Isaiah says, you know, I'm sick and tired of you. Your vain oblations. Your, your sacrifices. I'm tired. I'm, they weary me. How much better if we put feet to our prayer and actually do what we studied in Sunday school? Good works. Man says, I can tell you how spiritual I am. I can show you my faith. I don't need any works to prove it. James says, you show me your faith without your works, I'll show you mine with my works. Because that's the calling card of a Christian. It's not how many stickers you have on your bumper. It's not how many this, that, or the other that you might happen to claim. It's what we do on account of and in the name of the Lord. So James one twenty seven says, Pure religion and undefiled before the Father is this. Preachers might like it to say, you're in church every time the doors are open. That's not what it says. You give a big bag of money. That's not what it says. Visit the widows and the orphans. The people that you won't get a lot of recognition for. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We want to say, talk to the hand, widows and orphans. I'm give a hoot about you. I'm thinking about number one. And I want to get in there with everybody. I want to schmooze. I want to just blend in with everybody. Some people think that's a display of your Christianity, but it can't find it in word. And look at verse number four, because the person of integrity is somebody who recognizes his sins. And he doesn't make excuses for it. That's part of the sign that you've been born again. You don't say, well, I had a bad rearing. Or, well, I went to the wrong schools. Or, or I, I couldn't catch a break. Or, or somebody messed me up. Just always blaming the finger, pointing the finger, blaming somebody else. You know, I told you before, many times in the scripture, when some I have sinned, uh, they were just going through the motions. Like when Pharaoh said it. But I think when David said it, he meant it. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul. For I have sinned against thee. It bothered David that he sinned. Somebody points a finger at you. You messed up. What you said. What you did. Where you went, who you were with, shame, shame, shame. And we cower. And we get to thinking, what will this do with my reputation? 
What will this do about this, that, and the other? You know who your worst critic should be in this world? Yourself. If you're your own worst critic, if you're not, somebody else will be. And so, beware. And if somebody points out, you know, a little kid, with, you're fat. Tell me something I don't know. But people think that they're they're, they're going to put in their day and this sort of thing. When you know that you're food for worms, when you know that you're just dust, it's when we think we're something. The Lord reminds us, without me, you're nothing. So that's a very brief character sketch from this song. What about the enemies? They speak the vilest evil about that one. We saw that in verses 5, 6, and 7 already. And they assume the worst. If you want to catch a break, you're not going to get it from the heathen. The guy who looks at you is just somebody to mock, somebody to spurn, somebody to sneer and jeer at. I don't know if David ever had such and such a disease. But that doesn't keep them from lying about him. <coughs> An evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lies, he shall rise up no more. You mark my words, that's the end of David. Well, sometimes the best thing you can do is just keep on keeping on. You know, the end of a thing is better than the beginning. So it says. And sometimes even a close friend turns against you. If you say, I can't believe this. This person won't return my calls. This person acts like I don't exist. They treat me like dirt. And when they were to bind, they were to tight. I helped them out and now they won't give me the time of day. Guess what? They didn't exactly glad hand Jesus. He said, you see what they do to me? You know what they did to the prophets? Don't expect in fact, one place is to be where all men speak well of you. Sometimes we think just everybody's going to love us. They're not. Sometimes even people call themselves saved. And they might be saved for whatever reason. I read how Mr. Spurgeon has school for the preachers. He sent them out to preach on a Friday. He said, I want to report on Monday. They're all eager. They're going to go out and preach. And when they came in on Monday, he said, okay, for anything else. Uh, how many had a conversion? You know what he said a word. How many had a rededication? Not a word. How many had people in their congregation who were apparently touched by the reading and the proclamation of the word? Not a word. How many made people mad? Not a word. You guys sure you preached? Because some people, you see how Sunday school sets things up for preaching? Some people want to have their ears tickled. 
They want the smooth things. Let's go to church and feel good about ourselves. I don't want to be yelling at me and calling me a sinner or anything like that. Well, I'm not being honest with the word if you don't hear that once in a while anyway. But even a close friend can turn into an enemy. And again, I'll remind you of Mr. Judas. And then the third thought, there are some blessings. There's good news. But attend the person of integrity. Let's go back to the beginning. Because God does deliver when we find ourselves in trouble. The second part of verse 1 says, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Now, if you're not in a time of trouble, you don't really right then, right there, need his deliverance. But give it time, you will. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And I will not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. That's a precious promise. I hope we take it seriously. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. You ever been laid up and you feel like I have no friends? I have no prospects. I have no future. I might as well just die. You ever felt like that? A lot of people have. Some of them did die, but some of them did not. The Lord brought them back from their bed of affliction. And sometimes they never were able maybe to do as much as well as they used to, but they did what they could, the best that they could, for as long as they could. Y'all remember Earl Smith, don't you? When I came to Eastside, Brother Smith said, Now, you've never pastored before. I want to tell you something. Very few non-pastors know this, and some preachers that haven't soaked in yet. But not everybody loves the Lord as much as you do. At least as much as you should. And some of those folks, as they get up there in years, they act like they don't give a hoot. Don't be quick to assume that they're lost. That they're goats in sheep's clothing. But human nature is such, it can take its toll. I know you remember Jack Duplashen, and many times I heard him say, when you go through hard times, you can get bitter or you can get better. And like he liked to say, it's better to get better than to get bitter. Because if you have bitterness, it doesn't hurt that guy. It hurts you. It gives you ulcers. Etc. Etc. So when we're in trouble, God will deliver. Drop down to verses 10 through 12 because the mercy and favor of the Lord will be evident. Now in another place, David said, I once was young and now I'm old. And yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Let's read this again. But thou, Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me. How do you know God is on your side? Because he can and does things you never could, never would be able to do. Because my enemy doth not triumph over me. As for me, thou upholdest me. Where? In mine integrity. You don't have any integrity. There's really no substitute for it. You know, one good thing to have as a Christian is patience. 
What's a substitute for patience? There really isn't. I mean, gotta go through it again. Gotta go through it again. Gotta go through it again. Patience has its perfect work. You gotta be patient if you're gonna get patience. Not like a certain sticker I saw of a young lady who said, Lord, I need patience, but I need it right now. That's not how it works. Upholds me in my inheritance that thou settest and settest me before thy face forever. Now let's close with a verse that very precious to me and I hope is to you. The last verse in Isaiah 40, verse 31. I've talked about this before. It bears repeating though. The bad news is there are people who get down and they're out and that's it. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Why? Because they figured it out. They were able to connect the dots. No. The Lord is the one who affects this. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a precious promise. Not just something to think about from time to time, but to serve as an anchor to your soul, because God will be honored from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And thus we end book one.